Hey everybody, this is Jack. This is the Avon. And welcome to our NLEC podcast called Church on Air. Welcome back everybody. This is Jack. This is the Avon. And welcome to Church on Air. This is an NLEC podcast. And last episode, we went through chapter three. <clears throat> I apologize, guys. We just had lunch. Good lunch. It was a good lunch. Man. The palmy was amazing. Pork crackling. Well, Birdwood one. Birdwood one. Make sure you get there. Yeah. That's yeah. how. Yeah. No sponsored. Not, not sponsored, though. Not sponsored. Yeah. Sorry. All right. So what was chapter three about? Uh, we talked about taming the tongue. Like, it's important that... Um, we see like God creating the world through his words and God then redeems the world through his word. Um, and so we actually have to be really mindful about how we use our words because it reflects our relationship with God. Now, for sometimes we like to say things which um, are really demeaning and discouraging to others and then still expect that that same mouth is then able to praise God. But that is actually a heart issue. Now, instead of dealing with it in a behavioral way, James is challenging us to deal with it um, in a like heart manner, to look at our intentions and our heart rather than just seeing words as a behavioral thing. And, um, and we talked about posture as well. Yeah, and then posture is, uh, we define posture as uh, what are our intentions. It's not enough just to want something good to happen. It's important to also have an intention of godliness. So rather than just being correct and like just yelling at people and being angry and bitter at people who are not as correct as us, it's also important to have a posture that is pure, holy, godly, um, and, and loving. You know, so the example we use was actually like we know God's holiness is really important, but we can't look at God's holiness as a way to be unforgiving and bitter towards those who are less holy than him. We actually need to have a posture that Christ does, which is to journey with them and to lift them up so that they may enjoy God's grace as much as we have. Yep. So today we're actually going into chapter four and James actually starts off with, starts off saying this, right? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And I think that's actually a continuation from chapter three about taming the tongue. I think they're actually directly tied to each other Mm -hmm. in how what we say actually, yeah, it has huge consequences. And here, James actually observes and calls out what what people are saying and how that causes quarrels and fights among these people. Yeah, it's actually like pointing out specifically, um, you guys can't tame your tongue. And this is the result. And the result is that in the church, James is seeing quarrels and fighting. So there are um, groups within the church that even though they're all Christians, they're actually um, kind of arguing one another, um, kind of separating. The groups are separating. Um, They're actually not being able to forgive one another, right? Which is actually not that uncommon in any church because the church is just broken people that God loves, right? Um, So uh, have you seen this like happen or like, do you, do you kind of, what are your views on quarreling within the church? So what I see James calling out is actually that people are actually being selfish in here. You know, yeah. it talks about, so we're talking about verses one to three, three right now. Um, this selfishness is actually causing the quarrels. And I think I see selfishness happen all the time at church. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, like sometimes it's just hard to think about somebody else as being, right 
and somebody else getting what they want when we don't get to have what we want, you know? Like, for example, why did the worship leader choose this song again? Oh, it's obviously because it's their favorite song as opposed to, like, what my favorite song is. Just an example. Not that I've thought it before. What I really like, Sir Francis Chan said this, right? Um, It was in response to someone who said, um, I really didn't enjoy worship today. And then Francis Chan's response is good because it's not about you. Yeah. It's, you're not mad, you know? So James is like straight into it already. You're quarreling because you're making the church about you. Mm. You're making um, the things about God and worship and ministry about what you want. When in fact, that's not why we are in a community. And what causes it is not actually godliness. It's something else. Um, so what is that something else? Well, James continues on to talk about um, worldliness as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so verse 4 um, to verse 5, right? Yeah. It's this sense of we want what the world offers. Now, what does what is friendship with the world? Now, I would kind of, I would treat this as a um, difference in culture. There is the, what, the Bible values which is um, in Philippians 2, we see, do not consider yourselves above others, right? Do not lift yourself up above others, right? So um, Christ, although he was God, did not consider equality with God as something to hold on to, but he lowered himself down to even becoming a servant. Now, I think that that attitude almost directly is in contradiction with this sense of worldly ambition, now, sometimes ministries, I, I, I was taught this when I was in Bible college earlier, ministry sometimes is just an expression of our own selfish, insecure ambitions. We want to be great in ministry. And that's the very thing that breaks down pastors and youth leaders and life group leaders. We chase greatness instead of obedience. Um, and that is the heart of what causes all this conflict. Um, like I see it, I see it, if I'm honest, I see it a lot, you know? Like, we tend to measure, for example, right? No, 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 like, um, I'm not trying to pick on anybody here. I think in preaching, sometimes we can get really obsessed with how big a church is. But if we kind of really think about it, The size of your congregation is not what's important to God when it comes to your preaching. Whether or not it's attractive to lots of people or whether it is engaging to um, everybody. I'm not saying you shouldn't improve, but I think if we look at God's heart, ambition does not, if ambition, selfish ambition creeps into um, what you teach in church, you actually end up compromising, right? Compromising what God's mission is in your life. So you can't both be a friend of the world in preaching and be a friend of God in that sense. Or do you see it like in like other places as well? Yeah, I do. Not just it doesn't just apply to preaching, but it happens all the time. Yeah, and James calls us calls us adulterous people, and I think um, that's a metaphor as well. Um, but when he when he talks about friendship. Um, He's not describing friendship as in our friendship that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so friendship, he's, he's talking about um, 
loving something with a strong emotional attachment to it. Yeah. Um, so he's saying that friendship with the world is when we actually place the world above God. Yeah. Yeah, it's this sense of, oh God, I know you want me to be humble, but I really want to feel heard or important mm. or like um, I want to be put up on a pedestal. So placing worldly things above God. And that's why James calls that calls us adulterous. He says that if we are friends with the world in that sense, where we're loving the world more than God, we actually become enemies of God. Yeah. Right. Um, so how where does that come from? Because James is always talking about heart issues. Mm. Um, where does that come from then? Like, Because this is happening in, I reckon, not just in church, but in every community. People trying to put themselves above other people. Yep. Uh, so what's the heart issue um, as we go along? Pride. I think pride is when um, we look to ourselves and our own achievements, to the world for self-recognition, um, to assure ourselves. Yeah, it's looking for your worth somewhere else, right? Looking for your worth um, by what you achieve as opposed to what God has in your life. Um, so kind of verse six, I reckon, is the key, or verse six and seven, is really the key point of this chapter. So if you're reading along with us, um, you see that there's a key moment here where James writes, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So resisting the devil is actually resisting our prideful urges to put ourselves above others. Um, mm. So James talks a lot about the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself. And when we love ourselves more than our neighbor, we become prideful. Uh, we, so the, it's, it's actually, it sounds so simple, but I reckon it's one of the harder things to accomplish within, our, within the Christian faith, to actually be humble and actually to not care about how we look to others and not care about what other people see in us. Um, uh, and if we kind of look at this book of James as what it means to be a mature and complete Christian, we see that pride actually stops us from being complete because pride says that I don't have to be challenged. I don't have to grow um, and take advice. Pride also is against wisdom because pride says that I don't need to be accountable. Sometimes it says I don't have to be peace loving. It's self-centered as opposed to being God-centered. And so if God wants us to be complete and God wants us to be wise, this is why when he sees prideful people, he will oppose them because God is working to grow maturity in his children. Um, so if we are prideful, God is so interested in breaking us down. If we are quarreling with others, God is interested in breaking us apart, you know, so that we would be humble again. And that's kind of the warning that James is giving us. And what I love about verse six, um, I'll read it out to you guys, but he gives more grace. I think what I really love about that is it's the gospel. James is really going, going at it, right? He's like, you, f you fight, you do not have because you don't ask. He calls, he calls us adulterous and enemies of God. I think that's quite harsh. But then 
He responds with God's response. God gives more grace despite our shortcomings, despite how selfish and prideful we are at times. Yeah, and he gives us more grace by opposing our pride. Yep. So let's say you're going through a really tough moment because your pride is like causing some frictions in your friendship group. God's grace is to humble you. Mm. And if you're humble and sometimes like people may take advantage of that, God's grace is to show favor to what you do. Grace can grace may not always be painless, but it's always good. It's um it's just like I would say here's what I'm seeing, right? Sometimes we see God and we think that grace means that he's always making us feel good about ourselves. And we kind of, in a way, we make church about that. How can I feel good about myself? When in fact, that is what causes quarrels and disunity in the community. It's not about what feels good to, uh, to me. It's about how can I serve someone else so that they may see more of God and God's goodness. Um, so I'm kind of going, we need to begin to see and understand God's role within the church and God's heart within his grace. And it's not to make us feel good about ourselves. It's about building us into becoming more complete people. So if you're prideful, you see quarrels and all that. It's important. Once again, we look at that spiritual mirror uh, and let him challenge you. Am I prideful? Is that why I feel this war between me and God? Because you cannot love both the world and God at the same time. And James calls humility not only just to a certain subclass of Christians, but to all Christians. And so humility is for everybody. We all should be called, called to humility. And he, yeah. and he gives three, command, three commands, right? Mm-hmm. To submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, and to draw near to him. Yeah, so those are really practical things that we can be doing. Yeah. What do you th- maybe we need to go back and like define some terms then. Yeah. What is pride and what is humility to you? Mm. When I see the two, they almost seem opposite from each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, sometimes I feel like um, pride can be favored at times and humility can often be seen deemed as weak. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think that's the case. Humility means, doesn't mean, just mean turning the other cheek, right? Yeah. Like humility isn't about being valueless. Yeah. It's actually knowing your true worth yeah. and being secure. And um, pride is actually insecurity. Yeah. In my opinion, right? So insecure people need to feel puff themselves up, mm. right? It's like your defense mechanism. I'm actually really great. But people who are really secure, um, don't need to. They're just comfortable uh, in being who they are, you know. So I reckon humility is being secure in your worth in God and pride is being insecure to your worth in God and in your community. Mm. So I guess that's probably an easier way. Like if if you feel insecure, maybe it's not, it may look like feeling valueless, but it's actually pride, possibly. What do you think? No, I completely agree. Um, sometimes we have, we may have it reversed, right? Where humility is seen in the negative light and pride is seen as positive to be boastful about ourselves. Yeah. To boast and puff ourselves up. But that's not what James calls us to do. It's to, um, yeah, 
humble ourselves before the Lord. And we see right after that, he exalts, exalts us because mm. of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't lift ourselves up. He does. Mm. So in action then, how can we be more humble within our groups, our community groups? Mm. I think the first place to start is actually um, in verse 6. He gives more grace. It's only by God's grace mm. that we're able to become humble. Um, so I think that's a good place to start, um, to not just remember we, we've been talking about form over substance, right? Um, I think sometimes we might focus too much on form in trying to be outwardly humble, but if we don't, if we forget about why we're doing it, and we forget about the fact that it's God who gives us the grace, then, you know, we're just doing things that Paul is calling out, calling us out for. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I just want to point us back to um, verse 12. And it's about, because no, if we look at the hierarchy of influence, it's important to know who's actually in charge. Um, verse 12, it says, NIV, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? We cannot lift ourselves up as judges over our brothers and sisters. That is not maturity. That is not um, kind of religiosity. It's just pride. More mature Christians, I find, like I've met pastors that I admire so much. I've met Christians that I just absolutely look up to. And they are more patient than I am. They are more kind than I am, more wisdom than me. I've never felt them make me feel less than who I was. And they, they know my flaws. You know, like my mentors know my flaws. But their godliness means that instead of putting me down, they lift me up with them. Uh, and, and so it's just like this mat maturity sometimes is not about pushing others down. It's about lifting people up because ultimately we are equal and God is at the top. Yeah, only God can judge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that ties back to the quarreling, right? I think we quarrel because of our selfishness, our pride, and that causes us to judge one another. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, humble yourselves. Yeah. So important. So in the next section, um, verses 13 to 17, James is actually calling out a particular mindset or action. Um, what's he calling out to you? It's, um, it's like, because he's talking about pride, right? And then he goes on to show a form of pride in someone's life. And, it comes down to people who say in verse 13, uh, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. It's this sense of I am in control of my own fate because of my gifts, because of my abilities, because of my strategies, because of my ability. I am the person who is sovereign over my own life, right? Putting your ability even above God's sovereignty. Um, and that is really an incredibly prideful posture to have um, because at the end of the day if you are in control of your life and you live as though you are this your abilities is what controls your life um, it can lead to some really dysfunctional relationships among people because the people are not controllable right mm. like, what do you think so obviously james here is isn't actually 
saying that we shouldn't plan things. So what's the balance here? How do we plan? How, how do we know we're planning too many things, planning too much ahead? Well, I don't know if planning's the issue. Mm. Um, like, for example, it's more like you um, you think that you are the center of whether or not something goes well. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, we all have, we all know somebody who wants to control everyone's behavior so that the result ends up being what they want, right? It's pride in the sense of saying, I am actually above you in my planning. So you're allowed to plan, but don't plan in a way that puts you above and your priorities above other people's well-being or above God's sovereignty. Yeah. Because he's saying that we ourselves are like a mist, right? So we ourselves are nothing in comparison um, to the sovereignty of God. So what James is actually saying is that we should actually be submitting ourselves to Christ um, over our own plans. Instead of saying, I will do these things, but James tells us to um, say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Mm. It's like, um, so here's how I see it happen. Um, so control is, um, it's, it's a really dangerous thing to fall in love with. I mean, we have responsibilities and we have concerns. And it's really important that we are actively responsible for what we are given by God. But control is one level above being responsible. Control is I am the key mover, prime mover in a circumstance. So here's how I see it in ministry. I see there are problems in every church. Every church has problems because God loves the broken church, right? So the church is filled with broken people. Um, and I see people come in and they come in on like this, like, you know, it's like the proverbial uh, knight in shining armor, come in on their white horse. Like if I control every element of this, if how people think, how people speak, how people engage with this ministry, then this ministry will do well. And it all becomes about that person. But we don't see that uh, in scripture, right? God, even Christ did not try to control people. Because to control somebody actually robs them of the dignity that God's given them in creation. You know, how does Jesus enter into Jerusalem um, and during the passion narrative? He doesn't enter on a war horse. He enters on a donkey. It's actually peace. He's actually um, trying to, even as like Philippians 2, even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to lord over other people with. Um and so I think it's, a, it's like a posture issue once again. Sometimes we cause quarrels. Sometimes we are prideful because we think that we are the ones who have the answers to everything. And we think if someone doesn't follow us, they are at fault. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's like it goes against what we're actually doing is we are not letting go of our control to God. Um, and that becomes really unhealthy later in life. We can get really like, we can start getting angry at people who aren't in our control. We can start like trying to exert control through gossip, through uh, manipulation, through emotional, through guilt, right? And you know how I feel about guilt. Um, we don't, we shouldn't use guilt uh, at all. Um, and yeah, and we lose sight of God's sovereignty. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's a lot more to, um, 
verse 15, right? If the Lord wills. I think it's actually um, descriptive of the attitude we have, not prescriptive. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So I think when we when we say if the Lord wills, um, it's more of a heart commitment um, to see God build our lives the way he wants to build it. And I think I, I relate to that so much, right? I think sometimes I want to be someone who wants to be in, in control. It's safer that way um, to say that uh, when I graduate from my university degree right now, I want to enter post-grad and then um, get a job, earn enough income to buy a house and afford mm -hmm. um, like to support my family, right? Yeah, afford that Bugatti. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's exactly my goal in life, to get yeah. a Bugatti. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have heard it right here. What is a Bugatti? It's a car, isn't it? I think it's, I mean, what kind of, anyway, I don't know anything about cars. Me neither. Yeah, yeah I shouldn't have brought it up. Yeah, you guys, I mean, you guys aren't coming here to listen to car, about cars. <laughs> sorry, anyway. sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, but yes, moving on, Korea. Yes, Korea, right. And I think it's, there's respons it's responsible for me to actually be thinking about what's going to be happening in the future. But I think it's a tension for me to actually say, if the Lord wills. Um, it's a tension for me. To, it's hard for me to say that and to actually just bring and submit what's happening in the future to God and say and trust Him in what He's doing. Yeah. Rather than to be prideful of my own idea of how I can worship and follow God. That's that's really insightful, actually. Um, I think when we are obsessed with control over our own lives, we end up causing so much anxiety for ourselves. Because things don't go to plan. People don't go to plan. Um, life doesn't go to plan. And when we hold on to control, when we, and control we don't have, by the way. We can't even control what the weather is tomorrow. Uh, when we start to obsess over our control over our lives, we end up making ourselves responsible for things that will crush us. That we, we end up carrying things that we have no capacity to carry. Um, and man, it's not just like ministry. I think life, people hold on to great burdens because they feel like if they let go of control, they will somehow lose their self-worth, you know, whereas like sometimes I just reckon, let God deal with the result of your ministry. All we have to do is be to be faithful and have integrity over the process, right? Um, it is so in verse, like I love it, um, verse 15. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He is in control. We are not. And James is like really pointing into that. Be humble and know that it is God's will. Yeah. And I think it's so freeing once we actually do submit our plans to God. Um, knowing that it's not through, it's not about how much I study or what grades I get or whether I get a HD or not, but it's rather... God's in control. Yeah. Um, and I mean, enough said about that. Like it's so, it's so freeing. Mm. Then my focus is not to control the world. My focus is to be the best version of me at any moment. And, and to, to submit be, to the will of God. Yeah. And to just be present in worship in every moment. And that's really what humility leads us to. It leads us to be present it doesn't draw our minds to anxiety. It doesn't draw our minds towards controlling others. It draws our minds towards the presence and purpose and God. And so humility is really good for us in that way. And I think it's a 
reference to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about um, not worrying about tomorrow. Yeah, uh, because God is in control. So there's one thing this chapter tells us is we ought not to control others. Even if we don't get what we want, it is not, the, the church community is not about us. We shouldn't try to control our fate and put ourselves above other people because God will oppose the proud and he will give grace and honor and favor to the humble. And we also don't want to be prideful in the way that we try to control our destiny even. We have responsibilities, yes, but sometimes we take it to a place that's just way too far and we end up causing ourselves to have a weight on our shoulders that we can't even carry and it hurts ourselves. So what is the proper way to live in God's sovereignty for you, Jack? Mm. I think I'm still learning that as I, yeah, as I'm graduating soon, I think, I think it takes time. Mm. It takes time to submit um, things that you want to, that you want to have control over. But I think part of it, yeah, I just really love verse six, how he talks about, but he gives more grace. I think resting and meditating on that yeah. helps a lot. It's good. Um, I'll just end up, I just wanted to look at verse 16, yep. finally, which is um, of 16, 17. So firstly, boast, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. This boast of, I want to puff myself up and say that I am going to be amazing and I need to be affirmed. That's, that's evil. Yep. On the other hand, anyone who then knows the good they ought to do. So people who are living humbly know what they ought to do and then they do it. But if they know what they ought to do and don't do it, it's sin. The sin of omission, right? Not doing the right thing. Now, I think pride makes us focus so much on the future or so much on the big thing. We miss out on what we should do now. And I think if we were to be humble and to not and to let God be sovereign, what it frees us up to do is to know what we need to do at this present moment and then do the right thing now. And that will lead to good fruit later. Right. Let's say if today I know that I need to be diligent with my finances today, be humble and focus on that. Don't focus on the like um, billion dollars you need to earn in the future. Focus on the $5 you have now. If you want to have a really healthy family, don't focus on one day I'll have a healthy family. Build your character now. Do the good thing now. And humble people are really good at being present in their worship of God. And if that's where we are, I, I think let's be challenged like, everyone, you, me, uh, everyone to kind of go, what is God telling me to do in his sovereignty in this moment? And if we do that right, one moment leads to another moment. And eventually we can get to some really blessed places. Mm. Yeah, and what I really love about how you talk about, um, or James in general, Stephen, is how we really bring it back to some central themes that James is actually a connected series of chapters and verses that it's not just separate chapters that have different ideas, but it's actually rather quite connected. When you talk about um, verse 17, about knowing the right thing to do and failing to do it, it's tying back to chapter one, when he talks about looking at a mirror and forgetting yeah. about it afterwards. So, yeah. Yeah, and faith and deeds. Faith and deeds. It's, he's got one message, which is don't be hypocrites. Mm. You know, live like you say you want to live live like you love jesus that's it any um concluding thoughts jack um 
no, I think we've covered everything quite sufficiently. All right. Well, let's go to next week. What's happening next week? So next week, we'll be continuing on to the final chapter of James, which is chapter 5. So, yeah, James will be continuing on with the themes that we're talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, going to talk through just the concluding ideas of what it means to be humble, what it means to be patient in suffering, and what it means to have real faith. Um, so if you actually have questions throughout our podcast this um, this past few weeks, um, feel free to send them in, um, like to uh, steven.chung at nlc.org.au. And we'll, maybe we'll have a, if we have enough questions, maybe Jack and I will come back in and um, answer some of those on scripture, on life, on anything, really. Yeah, for sure. All right, then. Well, we'll see you guys next week. All right. See ya.